Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Dear friends, do you remember what you were asking for for Christmas last year? Whether you're the person that starts in January making your list and checking it twice or maybe at the very least June, or whether you're the person who's kind of like, I think of a couple things and whether I get them, it doesn't really matter. Do you remember what you were looking for under the tree last Christmas? I ask that because after you've seen the type of year that we've had, do you kind of wish that you could go back and ask for some things that are a little bit different? I mean, if only you knew back then what you knew now. Like, especially if you got gifts, like tickets to a ball game or games that you could play, or dinnerware you could use at a dinner party, things that you could use with your classmates, or if you're in college with a, with a roommate, stuff that you could do in a big group gathered in your backyard. <laughs> if you knew back then what you knew now, do you think you probably would have asked for a few different things? I don't know, maybe a crash course in some type of technology use, a Zoom subscription a one-way ticket to a deserted island, <laughs> or, or, or maybe even this, a large supply of hand sanitizer, bleach, and, of course, toilet paper. If only you knew then what you knew now, because then you would have asked for something different. How can you really know what to ask for unless you know what's coming. And since you can't know what's coming, you can't really know what best to ask for, even with your best foresight. You don't even know how big of an ask you should make until you know the size of the need that will help you with the size of your ask. So how can you even know? There's no way that you can. There's just no way. As you look to 21 and to 2022, do you really know what you're asking for? You can't. Thankfully, God does. God from all eternity knows not only exactly what you need, he also knows that there is no possible way, even with your best and most careful Christmas wish list, that you could never even know what to ask for. And God in his wisdom doesn't just give you exactly what you need, the thing that you never even could imagine to ask for? He puts hints in this world and in your life that demonstrate just how deep your need is. He even puts these words by his spirit through his word in your hearts and in your minds, and yes, even in your mouths. So that when you ask, after God teaches you what to ask for, you would know that he has already and always had the answer. That's the blessing that God gives you. This new church year, this new season of Advent, and this new series entitled Unbreakable Christmas. Where God teaches us to have a proper wish list, especially for a year like this. But even throughout, we get this glimpse of the very kind of Savior that we need. So God would not only give it, but he'd also teach us to ask for the right things. You get to go back to that time when Jesus is riding into the, what would be the beginning of the end for him, that first Palm Sunday. 
and he enables us to hear what people are saying and to see what people are doing, how could they even know what they were saying? How could they even know what it was that they were seeing with their own eyes? They couldn't. But God enables us to stand right there and to watch Jesus riding on a donkey on that first Palm Sunday so that you and I would see not only the beginning of a, of a week that was more tumultuous than 2020 combined, but you and I would see that although these people had no idea in the world along with them, God gives them exactly what they need and then even through them teaches us what we should ask for because God always has an Advent answer to our Hosanna. He always has an Advent answer to our Hosanna. Please have that lesson open. The gospel reading you just heard read before from Mark chapter 11. You are undoubtedly familiar with Palm Sunday. Even if this is probably the first time that you ever darkened church's door, a church's door, you probably heard of Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus is getting ready to die. It's the beginning of the end. He summons for a, a donkey, and he's going to ride in, and we hear he's going to send it back later, and people lift up their praises, and they lay down palm fronds and cloaks as he enters in, and they have all of these historic words of praise to say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, King David. Hosanna in the highest. You're, you're probably familiar with some of those things, maybe even most of those things. What you're probably not familiar with is why in all the world, on November 29th, first Sunday in Advent, we're talking about something that should happen on Palm Sunday. Like, what, shouldn't we be talking about like Mary and Joseph and the baby, at the very least an angel? But here's why the church for a really long time has observed this Palm Sunday lesson as the first gospel reading for the first Sunday in Advent. Start here with me. Consider what they and you and I and the entire world along with us are looking for in a Savior. The one who can really be the Savior of us and of the entire world. Compare those expectations with what you actually see in the reading today. He's riding on a donkey, which is, which is a threefold picture wrapped into one. It is a sign of humility. It's not a war horse. He's also fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. It is also a show of power that somebody would ride in on a donkey and be heralded a king, all wrapped up into one. But still, is this the picture of the Savior of the world that you and I and the world along with us would anticipate? I mean, no cosmic show of power, no planetary movements or a light show with the sun, moon, and stars using the moon as his laser beam across the universe. No quick little phrase that would make, make the wisest people in the world look like fools. No great firework show with his magnificent, miraculous power that's what we would expect from somebody who's coming to be the savior of the world. But a man riding on a donkey looking no more special than you or I, that's, that's not exactly what we would be expecting. This isn't the savior of the world, and this is exactly, though, what these people were seeing, despite what we would expect to see. And then they have these words, too. Did they know what they were saying? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Do you, know what, do you know what that means? 
I mean, back to the heyday, thousand years before Jesus, when King David ruled and took the kingdom where it had never been, arguably the greatest king Israel ever had, that great shepherd king who had a heart after God. God says that about David, nobody else. Did they even know that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God was also making a promise that King David was going to have us, that great father David was going to have a descendant, a greater son as Psalm 110 refers to. Who would be the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world? Did they really know that what they were seeing and what they were saying was really fully and eternally, even cosmically true? How could they? Even that word Hosanna, the Hebrew word Hoshiana, literally it means, Lord, save us. You could say it's just one word with a, three exclamation points at the end. Help! Rescue! Save! Like somebody drowning! Help! Did they, did they really know that, that the one who's riding on a donkey into their city on that Palm Sunday is literally going to be the answer for why they're saying Hosanna? Or were they kind of just like yawning and getting distracted by the birds or the weather or somebody next to them as they're saying, Hosanna! Yeah, Hosanna. Did they really know the full culmination was, I mean, regardless of how many people were there on Palm Sunday, to those that were later there on Good Friday, doesn't matter. The city would soon itself change its tune from Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is great. Get some more palm fronts to crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and on our children. That's kind of a change. How could they have known? They couldn't have. And my friends, in the most frank way I can say it, how could you? How could you and I possibly know? You couldn't. And I couldn't either. To prove that, take a glimpse at what Christmas is usually like, this year and any year. Isn't it not just a microcosm of the entire year, if not our entire lives? Don't we prove at Christmas that so easily, although we should be looking for and even asking for the right things, our lives really don't always look that way. We spend so much time and energy, and with our lives, it looks like we're looking for something else. Like, or at the very least, that we don't really know what we're looking for, and that with our own words, we're making certain requests, maybe of others, maybe of God, but is it the very thing, the very question that God wants us to say? Lord, save us. Is that really what we would say classifies and characterizes our entire Christmas condition, or even all of life? Is that, is that what it looks like? Like our entire lives are just a stamp of Yep, we're asking for the right thing, Lord, that one thing. And we know we're focusing on that right thing, Lord, that you save us. To further prove that, look beyond 2020, you know, when our schedules had to take a halt. And consider what we so easily fill our times with. If we go, 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 go. And maybe, at least in part, we fail to realize that part of the go, 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 fill our schedules with tons of events. We have work functions here. We have stuff for the kids there. We have, we have this little recreational activity. We have to make this trip. We have to fill absolutely everything. At least in part, I refuse to believe otherwise, at least in part, the reason why we, especially in America, love to be so busy is because that, at least in part, is a way that we validate our own existence. It's a way that we say with our time and with our priorities and with our lives 
and with our schedules that this is why we exist. This is what we're looking for. This is how we find value. And hasn't this last year taught us that that's actually not going to give us value at all when all of it is taken away and everything comes to a screeching halt? Meanwhile, all throughout the busyness, the humble Christ king riding in on a donkey easily gets third or fourth rate priority. I've seen it in my life. You probably can too. Or take another example. Success, achievements, how our kids do in sports and in school, how we do at work with our promotions, with our salaries, with our toys, with our stuff, with the fluff of this world, our own proverbial or maybe even literal trophy cases. This is where we hang our hat on our identity, our value in life, how people approve of and identify their value in us. That so much, so much so, becomes what we revolve our lives around. And when that easily happens, when that easily happens, where, where, is the great question we should be asking. Is it, Lord, I'm looking to you for salvation? Or is it, I am so bent on proving my worth to myself and to others on my own? Meanwhile, we overlook the only one who would ride in to be a king who would sacrifice himself, not achieve personal success. To be a savior who would look so humble and lowly instead of looking so successful, prominent, and powerful. Don't you see, friends? You and I don't even know what to look for, if we're honest. On our own, we don't even know what to look for when it comes to a type of Savior. It's not just that we need a Savior. It's that we could not even formulate a description of the Savior that we need based on all of the evidences that we see in our own lives and our own degree of brokenness and lostness. That is why we need to look at a Savior who rides in to the city of his death right from the get-go. It's like walking under the banner before you ever get close to a Christmas tree. The banner of what would be the end. In a way, it's God calling his shot. It is God saying, this is already done before it ever begins. So you look beyond the Christ child who's laid in a manger, and you see a Savior who's laid in a tomb. You look beyond a Savior who's held closely by his mother, and you see his mother Mary later in life weeping at the foot of the cross as her son and our Savior dies. You, you look beyond the child who's lifted up by his surrogate father, Joseph, and you see the father of all condemn the one who's lifted up on the cross because he wasn't going to condemn me and you. You look beyond the swaddling clothes of that child laid in the manger, and you see grave clothes that hold him in for a time as he's placed inside of a grave. You look beyond what you see in the nostalgia of Advent and Christmas, as beautiful as it is, because in this way and only in this way does it become more, and yes, even eternally, beautiful. Because you look beyond just the angels that heralded the birth of a son, born to you, a Savior, and you see an angel sitting on top of that stone that was rolled away as Jesus walked out of the grave. 
to prove that you don't just have a type of peace that is abstract. It is really peace between you and God. As forgiveness is finished for you forever, and eternity is yours, and heaven has a place with your name on it. That is why we start here. And Advent puts us in the right place. Don't you see? Don't you see, my dear friends, that you could never, you could never have even identified the type of Savior that you need. That is why God in his word grabs your eyes and your heart and your minds along with it. So you would stand there on the road to Jerusalem and see the real type of Savior you have. Not just someone who comes to give you a smile and a warm feeling next to a nativity scene by a fire. As good as that is, he makes it bigger than that. So you would see the Savior who would die and bleed and suffer and rise for you. That's what it's all about. That's the thing we could never even know to ask for. How could we even know if God had not opened up our eyes and shown us that this world is never going to fulfill the, the God-sized void in our hearts and in our guts and in our souls? And you know what? He doesn't just show us the Savior that we never could ask for, and he, and he gives it. He even teaches us the way to ask for it. Go back to that word again. Hosanna. Hoshiana, rescue us. Did they really know? No. It's like a child who's asking for the greatest Christmas gift ever because when they get that gift, then their life will be complete. And that lasts for all of a day. <laughs> so to how could you and I as God's children ever know? And yet God opens up our eyes not only to see what he provides, but then he even puts that right request that thing that's at the top of our wish list now, in our mouths. Hosanna! We get to say, Lord, save us, rescue us. That's the number one thing we're asking for. Hasn't this year proven that to us? I mean, what are the things that you really wanted? Didn't matter, because what you asked for didn't work. And he uses the entire community of believers, the church, the co communion of saints, and even our local family of believers to teach us to ask this question over and over and over again. It's almost like God, kind of like with children, needs to pound this truth into our thick little skulls so that we will ask the right thing. And then by asking the right thing over and over again, we'll see that he has already and always had the answer for us. Think of it. What do you start off by saying every worship service? Confession and absolution. Lord, save me. Have mercy on me. It's your little Hosanna. What do you hear in song and in sermon except over and over again, Lord, save me, knowing that in Christ he already has? What do you get in prayer and praise except everything pointing you to your own plight as you in the bottom of your own literal or proverbial pit say, Lord, save me. And in Christ, he does. He already has. What do you get as you walk by the baptismal font? Really poignantly placed, not just because there's not as much room for it up here because of the tree, but you have to bump into your own mortality when you walk in. Did you recognize that? It's you die to yourself and the world is killed in those waters. It's your own way of saying, Lord, save me. And in baptism, he put his name on you. So you are with him and he is yours. What do you get in the Lord's Supper? 
except to say, Lord, I can't fill myself with enough stuff in this world to actually save me. I need, I need the one thing that gives me heaven. And Christ's body and blood connected to the bread and wine give you just that. And he says, it's for you. I already have. You, you get to walk through the entire experience of the church here once again and relive how God is pouring out his best gifts in Christ to you. You're preparing for Christmas because this is God's way of saying the Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's why we need not just worship. That's why we need not just the church here. That's also why we need each other. How can you really know what you need? Do you have all of the entirety of the human experience wrapped up into your small brain? Do you know everything that you're going to go through this next year? Are you sure that you're totally ready for it? Do you really think that whatever's coming in 21 and 2022 is, you got it whipped already? Or isn't this exactly why we need one another? Let us not give up gathering. Let us not give up talking and sharing and helping and praying for and encouraging because in this way, God works through the little mouths of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us of the one thing that's at the top of our wish list. Lord, save us. Hosanna, Hosanna. And we say, thank you, dear brother in Christ. Thank you, dear sister in Christ. Hosanna. And then they also, when we along with them, get to remember that in Christ, he already has. So this next year might be better. Vaccine will cure the world. No. Everything might get better. Maybe. 21 and 22 might get way worse. For the believer, we get to sit calmly, maybe even stand boldly, and have a slight smirk on our face, or at the very least, in our hearts, knowing that it doesn't really matter in the end. It doesn't really matter what the world is looking for, and sometimes we along with it. It doesn't really matter what comes, whether things get great and it's sunshine and rainbows, or whether things get worse, and it's like going off a, a, an icy, steep slope, and we plummet even worse. It doesn't matter. Because God today gives you the number one thing that you not only need, he also puts the question at the top of your wish list. Hosanna, Lord save me, whether it's great, whether it's not. And in Christ, that Savior from the cradle to the donkey to the cross to the tomb to the right hand of the Father says this to you by the power of his gospel. Save you? I already have. Amen. Thank you.